Welcome to the 88th episode of the Head Kick KO podcast. Today we are here to discuss UFC Vegas 65. And this event was not really what it was supposed to be. We were supposed to see a main event between Derek Lewis and Sergey Spivak. Uh, that was canceled and they promoted the co-main of Kennedy in Jechitaku and Ian Kutelaba to the main event. Now, this was, you know, obviously not that great of a card once you make that change. And to simply sum it up, I think this is one of the reasons why the UFC has to put together better fight night cards. I, in my opinion, I really think this was one fight away from being a you know, a good card, right? If you have Derek Lewis and Sergey Spivak at the top of the card, and then you have a co-main between two top 15 guys, that gives you the option to flex that co-main to the main event. Instead, you have Injechenoku and Kutelaba, who are not main event fighters, and they're not even like a tier below main event fighters. And that's not to say that Kennedy and Injechenoku, who I think, you know, Obviously, I think he's going to progress, and I think one day maybe he could potentially get to that point. Uh, I don't think it's right now, though. So, with that being said, we weren't we didn't really have that great of an event in total, and that's a shame because I think we had some really strong performances from a handful of fighters that kind of got overshadowed by uh, not having a lot of name value. If you just have two guys at the top of this card that have a lot of name value, Um, you're going to get a lot more eyes on some young fighters that look good, like Kennedy, like Jack De La Maddalena, like Waldo Cortez Acosta, who I'm still 50-50 on. We'll talk more about that later, but I think it's good to at least get eyes on him. Um, Going down further, like Ricky Tercios, like Brady Heisen, like Natalia Silva. Uh, Vanessa Demopoulos isn't even that bad. I mean, she's not tremendous, but... Um, I think we had a lot of fighters that, you know, you'd like to get some eyes on because I think at least some of those fighters that I just named are going to have um, good uh, lengthy UFC careers. So it would be nice to get some eyes on these fighters, but uh, when you only have one good fight and that one good fight um, gets canceled, you're not going to have that. So I think this is just a kind of statement of how, you know, the UFC needs to at least have two good fights on cards. And I do feel bad saying that. Because this card was originally supposed to have Jack Shore and Kyler Phillips as well. And that would have been a really nice co-main to a Derek Lewis and Sergey Spivak main event. But both of those fights were canceled and um, we obviously didn't get any replacements. Obviously you can't add a replacement the day of the fight, but we didn't get one for sure. And uh, Phillips. Now, to go into the actual fights themselves, like I said, the main event was Kennedy Injechenoku and Ian Kutelaba. Now... I think this was a very, very good performance from Kennedy. Uh, He struggled a little little bit with the wrestling in the first round, uh, but I think he did well enough, uh, nothing too bad or too damaging. I think when you're fighting Kutelaba, that first round isn't necessarily the round that, um, you know, the first round isn't the round where you have to win. You don't have to win the first round against Kutelaba. when that second and third round comes around, that's the type. That's when you need to turn the heat up, and I think that's what he did. He came out very good in that second round, landed some really good shots on the feet, landed a handful of good shots before he eventually landed the big knee, which kind of started um, the beginning of the end of that fight, and then from there it was just you know ground and pound, a couple extra shots that that kind of put that fight away. But overall, I think that was a very good performance by Kennedy in Jechenaku, and and. At this point, I'm really impressed with how much he has improved in the UFC. I think that is a narrative that he spoke about, and I think that is a narrative that he, um, uh, that I think the UFC broadcast spoke about, and I think it's fairly accurate. And, you know, he had some early struggles, right? His very first UFC fight came against Paul Craig. That's a tough guy to make your UFC debut against, and he got submitted in the third round. And then he wins three straight against. You know, um, Darko Stozic, not exactly the the best win out there. Um, Not a terrible win at all by any means. Stozic is a good fighter, but it's not like uh, groundbreaking. 
Carlos Oberg, on the other hand, that's a that's a very good win, and we've seen Oberg do some good things in the UFC. And then uh, Danilo Marquez, right? Not a terrible fighter either, right? It's not a tremendous win, but it's, you know, there's far wor- worse wins that you could have on your resume. But then he loses two straight to Dao Jung and Nikolai Negomarianu. Negomarianu, that was a very close fight. That was an interesting fight. I believe that one was a, a one of the weird decisions. I think you could have made a case that he won. I think there was a point deduction in that fight as well. That Ujung, um, he wasn't able to get the win. But then he's come back very well with Carl Robertson. And Ian Kutelaba wins. And I think he's in a really interesting position right now at light heavyweight. Because if we're being honest, light heavyweight is probably the easiest division to crack that top 15. Um, I think it's a little bit tougher to get fights in that, that 10 to 15 range because you have some fairly big name guys, right? You have Span at 10. He's not fighting an unranked guy. Johnny Walker at 11, who's coming off a good win. I'm not sure he's fighting an unranked guy. Dominic Reyes at 12. I'm not sure what he's doing. Jimmy Crute at 13. I believe Crute already has a fight booked for Perth. Uh, but I could be wrong. I could have swore I saw that. But if he's not, he's fighting on Perth. Um, I imagine. Let me double check that because this says he doesn't have a fight book, but I'm almost positive he does. My apologies. Um, okay. Um, yeah, he's fighting Alonzo Manafield in Perth. Yes. And. Um, back to the rankings. And then you've got Roundtree at 14 and Jacoby at um, uh, Roundtree at 14 and Jacoby at 15, right? So it's not going to be an easy top 15 to crack, but I think he's right on the edge of fighting in that top 15. And when you're looking at guys just outside of that, um, Ian Kutelaba was right up there. So I think Kennedy is probably right now sitting in the 16, 17, 18 range in terms of light heavyweights on the UFC roster. Um, he does have a loss to uh, Dao Jung, and Dao Jung is in that similar range as well. So for Kennedy, I think he's probably looking at a fight, you know, maybe Azamat Mirzakhanov. I think that'd be an interesting fight. Um, fairly entertaining there. Um, other than that, a lot of these guys are booked. Ovin St. Prue is booked. Devin Clark is booked. Da Jung is booked. Those two are booked against each other. Um, Maxim Grisham is booked against Jelton Almeida. William Knight is booked. Alonzo Menafield's booked. Carlos Alberg just fought, and they've already fought in the past. Tyson Pedro's booked. Felipe Linz is booked. Um, Nikolai Mariano, he's already fought, right? So he's, I don't really think we're going to see Kennedy and Jechnaku fight uh, very soon. Now, um, unless he wants to fight someone behind him, I'm sure they can uh, find someone for him. But I think we're going to have to see some resolution with some light heavyweights in between now and the first uh, first month to two months of February. And then we'll have a fight for Kennedy. And maybe he will even be uh, looking at a ranked spot sometime soon. Now, um, for Kutelaba, this is a tough loss, and it kind of puts him in a bad position. I think that makes him not so great in his recent stretch, right? That puts him at, that's three losses in a row. If you want to look outside of that, that would put him at one, two, three. There's three and two and a draw. So, right, he, he's not on the best stretch of fights in his career. With that being said, he's got losses to Kennedy, Johnny Walker, Ryan Spann, um, tie or draw with Jacoby, and then two losses to Magomed, lost to Glover Teixeira, lost to Jared Cannonier. So, right, you know, that's not really the worst stretch that anyone has ever been on, and there were some wins in there that I skipped over. I was just trying to highlight that he's lost to very high-level competition. So, um, I, I imagine we won't see Kutelaba for a second because he made a fairly quick turnaround after his last fight because his fight against Johnny Walker was not that long ago. So I imagine we see a similar thing for um, Kutelaba as we do for Kennedy. We're going to see a month and, and two months go, go by. And he will probably fight a loser of 
of one of those booked heavy light heavyweights that I've talked about. You know, for example, if William Knight loses William Knight and Ian Kutelaba, if Dao Jung loses Dao Jung versus Ian Kutelaba, something something like that. Um, I think that's the level that we're looking at for Ian Kutelaba. Now, moving on to the coming event, we had Waldo Cortez Acosta versus Chase Sherman, and this was a very gutsy performance by Waldo Cortez Acosta. Um, I shouldn't say performance. I say I should say like he took this fight in a very gutsy way. Um, he fought three weeks ago and he got hit with a lot of leg kicks. And you know, leg kicks are not something that you can fix in three weeks. But he was hit with thirty some odd leg kicks by Jared Vandera, and while he won that fight convincingly, you know, when you get hit with thirty some odd leg kicks, it takes a second to heal. So I'm not sure what he was going through. I imagine his legs were hurting for at least a week, maybe two weeks. So I'm not sure that he, I'm not sure how much he trained in preparation for this fight, but he was still able to go out there and put on a good performance. And I like a lot of the things that I see from Waldo Cortez Acosta. There are some issues I see. We'll get to those in a minute. But for the positives, there's a lot of strong traits here with Cortez Acosta. Um, His boxing obviously is very, very good. I like the way, I think he's very quick at heavyweight. I think that's probably his best skill right now is his quickness. I feel like he has a very quick jab and he connects well with that jab. So I think that's um, a, a good trait. But he also, I feel like he flows very well, right? We see him stay out of danger, um, avoiding shots, and he's able to return and do some counter striking. And when he decides to open up and try and land some really big shots, he's able to do that. And his shots do hurt when he lands a big overhand. Also mixes in some elbows very well when you're in tight. And I think that's an underrated trait for heavyweights. Because, you know, a lot of these heavyweights are so big. You have such long arms that if you don't have the best boxing, it's very hard to throw a hook from that close of a range. So uh, just switching it over to an elbow and landing a clean elbow, I think is very beneficial in a lot of those positions. And I think that is something that he adopted pretty well. I was impressed with that. Um, now for the downsides, right? I, I'm, you got to be able to check the leg kicks at heavyweight, right? Now, heavyweight leg kicks are interesting because I don't think we see them utilized as frequently as in like the 145 division, for example. But when you have guys who can kick as hard as some of these heavyweights can kick, it doesn't really take as many to start to tally damage. So I would like to see that area of his game improved. And he was taken down by Chase Sherman. And Chase Sherman isn't the highest level of talent that we have on the UFC roster. And he isn't even really a grappler. He's a boxer as well. So it's nice to see him outbox a primary, a guy who's primarily focusing on his boxing. But with that being said, you know, you have to, you know, be able to defend the takedowns as well. Now, um, moving forward for Waldo Cortez Acosta, I don't really know who he's going to fight next because he's he's 2-0 in the UFC, which is a very good start to a career, but wins over Jared Vandera and Chase Sherman don't make me think that you're a title contender. You know, it doesn't make me think you're a ranked fighter. So I think we're looking at, you know, I think a really fun fight would be Chris Barnett. I think that's a fun fight, and I think that's a very interesting striking match that we could get ourselves into. And I think that would be one way you could go. If you want to test, test him against a... Uh, primarily a grappler. You could look at someone like, I didn't, shouldn't say Martin Boudet is a primary grappler, but Martin Boudet is going to go out there and clinch with you and, and do things like that. So I think that would be an interesting fight as well, and you could kind of assess, uh, assess his game a little bit more. If you want to give him a little bit more time to get ready, someone like Dante Mays may be interesting. Someone like Jake Collier may be interesting. But what I'm saying here mainly is you know, I don't want to rush Waldo too soon because he's a very raw prospect in my opinion you know he's not that old but he's fairly inexperienced and I think if we rush Waldo Cortez Acosta I think we're looking at a similar like situation that we had with Greg Hardy and Greg Hardy was a good boxer but at the same time 
he wasn't rounded out in, in a lot of these other skill sets, and I think that may be an issue we see with Waldo Cortez Acosta down the road as well. I, I do think Waldo, Costa, Waldo Cortez Acosta is going to be better in some scenarios uh, in comparison to Greg Hardy. I think he will have better cardio uh, to start. Um, but with that being said, um, I still think you you need to give this guy time and continue on the level of guys like Jared Vandera and Chase Sherman. You don't want to have him flying up those uh, heavyweight rankings too quickly. Um, for Chase Sherman, I'd be surprised if he stayed on the UFC roster after this fight. With that being said, um, I say that every time Chase Sherman loses or someone like Jared Vandera loses, and they continue to be on the UFC roster. Um, and if we're looking at his record here, he is now 16 and 11 and in the UFC, he is four and 10 and he has won one of his last five, right? That's not the best stretch at all. So I'd be very surprised if Chase Sherman remained in the UFC. Um, but maybe they'd let him fight out his contract. I'm not sure how many fights he has left on his deal. Moving forward, Muslim Salikov versus Andre Fialho. This was a fight that I was really looking forward to. I think this is it was a fun fight that we got out of it as well. I was surprised by how dominant Muslim Salikov was in this fight. And I was a little bit surprised by the commentary because I, I thought that first round was a little bit more competitive than what Salikov got credit for. He landed a takedown that made it close. I do think Fialho won that round. Um... But I don't think Salikov was, you know, I don't think that was as big as a, of a comeback as they made it seem. I thought that was a competitive fight that he, he took control of. And he was able to take control of it with some really nice body work, right? He landed a couple of spinning kicks to the body. Great work there. Um, and then outside of that, his hands are so, so quick. Like his speed is is very, very surprising. And it's so impressive to see him beat someone like Andre Fialo in that fashion where I have a lot of respect for Fialo's boxing and what he can do with his hands but Salikov was much much better in there and he landed a couple of spinning wheel kicks you know he could have had a highlight reel finish if Fialo didn't have such a good chin but nonetheless Salikov put on a great performance um, and really showcased some of the things he can do and at 38 coming off a loss you know as good as Salikov is as a, as a striker it's good to see him get back in the win column because if you're looking at two losses against, you know, Lee Jingliang is not a ranked fighter. Fiala is a borderline ranked fighter. And if you're looking at two losses um, against that tier, those tiers of fighters, I think it'd be tough to make a case that Fiala, Fiala or excuse me, that Silikov could fight his way back to the top 15. Um, but I, I think at this point with such an impressive win over Fiala, I do think there is a chance that he could continue to push and, and climb here at welterweight. Um, he's got a lot of options moving forward. Right now, there's a lot of really good fighters at 170 that are not ranked. I use this expression often, and I'll, a lot of the time I use it for lightweight. I haven't used it as much frequently, but there's almost a top 15 at lightweight outside of the top 15. If you were to extend the lightweight rankings another 15 guys, you could come up with 15 more really good fighters, and I think we have a similar situation here at welterweight, and I think that Sleekov is one of those fighters. Now, when you're looking at who he fights next, there are some interesting names here. Randy Brown, I don't hate, but I could also see why someone would say that Randy Brown deserves a little bit of a bigger opportunity, considering some of the work that he has done. Jake Matthews, I think, is a similar situation where Jake Matthews... Um, Probably deserves a little bit bigger of an opportunity, but at the same time, I think Matthews versus Salikov is a really, really good fight, and I think that the winner of that fight would be looking at a ranked spot. Um, Chaos Williams, Chaos Williams coming off a loss, that may be a decent um, opportunity for for Salikov, where you're getting a, a high, high, I don't want to say highly ranked guy, but... Um, a guy who well known and is considered one of the better fighters that's not ranked. Um, lastly, the last name I'll throw out there is Max Griffin. Actually, not the last name I'll throw out there. Um, Max Griffin, though, good option here. Um, that loss to Neil Magany, very close loss, and then he comes back and gets an impressive win over Tim Means. 
I think Max Griffin is also right, like I, I've been on here, one of the better fighters at welterweight. I think think Griffin versus Salikov is an entertaining fight. The sleeper here, in my opinion, is Dak, Jack Della Maddalena. We're going to talk more about Jack in a little bit, so I don't want to spoil that to when it comes time for his fight. But at the end of the day, I do think Jack versus Muslim Salikov would be a very entertaining fight. And I think the winner of that would almost be guaranteed to get a ranked fighter next. All right. Um, oh, perfect segue. I forgot that was the next fight on the card. Jack Della Maddalena versus Danny Roberts. Um, Jack Della Maddalena is good, right? He is good. What I love so much about Jack is that his boxing is so effortless, right? It doesn't look like he's overextending. It doesn't look that he, like he's trying to knock guys out. It looks a lot like, all right, I see the shot coming. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slip to the right. I'm going to boom, 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 tag you. You're hurt now. It seems like every time he lands, he hurts somebody. And it's an interesting type of power that not a lot of guys have where every time it, he touched Danny Roberts, he, he, it looked like Danny Roberts was very hurt. And Danny Roberts is a tough guy, and he's a UFC mainstay at this point. But every time Jack Delamatt at Atlanta put a hand on him, it hurt him bad. Um, he digs to the body very nice as well. In that finishing sequence, we see him dig to the body once, and that uh, looked like it hurt against uh, Emiv. He got a, a he finished the fight with a body shot. And just going back to the power for another second, he landed. Um, you know, he has three knockout wins in the first round in his three UFC fights. So this guy has clearly has power. You don't stumble your way into three first round knockouts in the UFC it just doesn't happen like that but um like I said his ability to see things where he's seeing things and he's reacting and he's staying out of the way of punches and he's countering if he wants to come forward he comes forward I mean this guy on the feet purely with the left hand and the right hand is dynamite and he doesn't throw a lot of kicks but I don't really care I'm a big advocate for throwing kicks. I'm a big fan of kicks. I think you can do great work with kicks. However, when your boxing is as good as Jack Della Maddalena, I'm not going to start, you know, pointing flaws in your game because you don't throw kicks. You don't need to throw kicks if you can do things like that. You don't need to be able to go get an offensive takedown if your hands are that good. Obviously, those are good skills to have, but for the most part, Stick with what you're good at. Stick with what you what got you here. And it is just crisp, efficient, powerful boxing. And I can't say enough good things about Jack Delamadalena. I think right now, I'll say this. I think uh, most importantly, I think he's the best prospect in the welterweight division. And when I say prospect, don't point me to Hamzat Chimaev and don't point me to Shavkat Rachmanov because those guys are already ranked. They already have impressive wins. Everyone knows those are great fighters. The ranked guys, those guys that I think have graduated from the prospect status. So don't point me towards those guys because, you know, I, I think those guys have more than proven they're not prospects. Same with Sean Brady. Sean Brady's not a prospect anymore. These guys are now in the middle of contention and work. They're ranked fighters, right? These guys are not prospects. But outside of that, who do you want to go with? Ian Gary. I think that Jack Delamata Delena is a better fighter than Ian Gary. I think he has a better career than Ian Gary, and I think he beats Ian Gary if the two fight right now. I really like Michael Morales as well, um, but if you were to put Adam Fugit in front of Jack Delamata I think he gets a much more impressive, he has a much more impressive and much more dominant performance than Michael Morales did. And I think Morales is a great prospect and a great fighter as well. That's not me trying to poke fun at, at Morales. That's not me trying to say he's not a good fighter. I'm just using that as a testament of how good I think Jack Della Maddalena is. Um, and I think those are the three guys you have to look at right now. If you're not talking ranked fighters at welterweight, it's probably Jack Della Maddalena, Michael Morales, and Ian Gary. I think you could find some other guys in there that are really good, but I think those are the big three. Um, there's another guy that I just cannot find in the rankings, but that is, um, that's all right. Um, 
anyways, um, so so that's the direction I think we go with Maddalena. Um, if he does get a ranked fight, he wants to fight in Perth, and I, but I think Michelle Pihate is a fun fight. I think Daniel Rodriguez, I think that's an interesting fight. Neil Magny, it's a great test for a guy looking to break into those rankings as well. I don't hate a fight with Li Jingling Yang, so I think there's a lot of options for Jack Della Maddalena, but ultimately I think we see him fight someone in the lower portion of those welterweight rankings or someone who's just outside those rankings. <clears throat> um, Bo Roberts, he's going to have to put in some work to kind of fight his way back here. He, I don't think he was looked at, you know, I think he's just outside that uh, that tier of welterweights, like some of the guys that we have mentioned uh, of recently. So I think he does have a little bit more work to do uh, before he gets back into a highly competitive position at welterweight. Um, continuing on, Charles Johnson versus Zalgas Zumagulov. This was a really close fight, and I have trouble scoring it, right? So I really can see either guy's argument to a victory, so I'm not really going to pick holes in who people think won. It doesn't really make that big of a difference to me. Um, Zalgas Zumagulov did retire after the fight, and I don't really blame him. The guy is 14-8, and eight, and I believe he's 1-5 in the UFC, and he has come out in some, like, very bad, bad uh, decisions, right? Split decision loss to Charles Johnson and split decision loss to Jeff Molina. He could have won both of those fights. The Amir Albazi was close as well, and Albazi has looked very good since that fight as well. <clears throat> Holly and Paiva said another decision loss. Things just haven't really gone his way. Charles Johnson, it was good to see him get back in the win column. He was a guy that a lot of guys like coming into the UFC. Couldn't get it done against Mokayev in his debut. Um, nonetheless, I do think Charles Johnson is a UFC caliber flyweight, right? I think he's better than a lot of these flyweights on the roster. I don't think he is someone who should be fighting a ranked opponent next. I think he does have a little bit, you know, it doesn't really take much to get into the flyweight rankings, honestly. But I do think he needs a win or two. Um, who do we match Johnson up with next? Kind of an you know interesting spot he's in. I don't love it, right? Because he's only one and one in the UFC. But I do think that Zalgas Dumagulov win is, is an impressive win. There are far, far worse fighters at flyweight than Zumagulov. So moving forward, I think Tyson Nam maybe makes a little bit of sense. Tatsuro Taira is fighting. Um, I believe he has a fight booked for that Seoul Korea card. And if he comes out on top of that fight, I think that uh, could be an interesting test for Tetsuro. Who is he fighting again? He is fighting Jesus Aguilar. Yeah, so I think that if um, Tetsuro can get past Aguilar, I, I think that Charles Johnson would be a good test for Tetsuro. Um, then again, maybe Charles Johnson doesn't really deserve to fight another top prospect. Maybe he should get a veteran. Um, nonetheless, I do like that fight. Um, moving on. Jennifer Maya versus Marina Rose. This was a good fight for Maya. I, you know, I think she, she did win that fight. I, I understand why someone would like Marina Rose, but I think it is clear that Maya won that fight. She did a lot of really good work. And she did so against someone where Marobes is a good boxer. And Jennifer Maya didn't really look to grapple too much in the fight. She did a little bit, but not a ton. And she was able to go out there and get a really good win. Get herself back on track, right? Losses to Chukagian and Fior. 
as we know, Fior is a very, very good fighter. Chukagian obviously has been near the top. I think she's been in the top five for a couple years at this point. So um, not really too far out on Maya yet, right? I think she's a little bit older. She's not, you know, in prime position, but that was a good win that she had there. She did a really good job with her jab. She was able to find the home of some right hands as well. Landed a lot of p powerful shots. So I do like what uh, Jennifer Maya did in that bout. Moving forward, I think that Aaron Blanchfield versus Jennifer Maya is an appropriate test for uh, Jennifer Maya. I do, I do see, I did like Andrea Lee after that Aaron Blanchfield win. However, um, I think that is an appropriate level test for Blanchfield. And now that, now that Maya is freed up, I think that's a good fight. Um, and there isn't really a lot else going on in that division right now. We have a lot of unbooked fighters. I think if Tracy Cortez gets a win over Amanda Hibosh, you could say Maya versus Cortez. Macy Barber versus Maya, does that's not a terrible fight. Uh, when Casey O'Neill returns, if, you know, I don't know what the plans are for Maya, but if, well, Casey O'Neill, I think she said she couldn't fight in purse, so that might be a little bit longer down the road. Maybe a Lauren Murphy versus Jennifer Maya makes a tad bit of sense. If, you know, you want to try and book them against, you know, if you don't want to book them against prospects and you want to give two veterans a veteran, that could make sense. Grasso's right in there, but I think Grasso deserves a bigger fight. I'd like to see Grasso versus... Mm, I don't hate Grasso versus Chukagian either, so... Um, kind of getting off track here, just throwing out fights that I'd like to see. Nonetheless, um, I think those are some interesting fights for that division. Um, now we're going to start hopping around a little bit, right? We don't have that many fights left, and I have a, a little bit bigger opinions on some of them than others. Uh, Miles Johns versus Vince Morales. I think it was a good one for Miles Johns. Uh, Vince Morales... Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets cut, unfortunately. Um, he's not a terrible fighter, but he just, you know, hasn't been able to find consistent wins. And unfortunately, that's what keeps you in the UFC. He is now 3-5 and five in the UFC. You know, good win over Luis Smolka. But outside of that, you know, and he's had tough competition too, so it kind of sucks. Losses to... Song Yudong, Chris Gutierrez, Jonathan Martinez, and Benito Lopez, among others. So, you know, I just don't really think that, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they sent him back to the regional scene. Unfortunately, Miles Johns now 13-2. and two. Good wrestling, really good boxing. He, you know, wasn't able to get a win against John Castaneda. So I do think he does, you know, and Mario Bautista, but Bautista has proven to um, be very successful as of late. So I do think Miles Johns has a little bit of a climb to come before he gets back, um, you know, before he gets to a certain position where he could potentially challenge for the rankings. That seems to be how I always judge fighters, by how far they are away from the rankings. Um, Miles Johns does have some work before he gets to that position. Uh, moving on. Tercios versus Navidad, or Natividad, excuse me. Interesting fight. And I think Tercios is a really hard guy to judge at this point in his career. And I, I think he has some really good skills, but I also think he has a lot of really big holes. Uh, he gets hit with too many big shots. He gets dropped too often. He has a really good chin, and he doesn't quit, and he's so tough that, you know, he can overcome a little bit of that, that defensive the defensive flaws in his game. Uh, another way he does that is he doesn't really have great takedown defense, but with that being said, he does a really good job, but he did a really good job against Navidad at least, or Natividad, my bad again. Um, he did a really good job against Natividad in getting the switches on the ground, right? He was able to land some sweeps, land some switches, and do some good things to get in a better position. Now, 
I could understand why someone scored this fight for Kevin Natividad. You know, it's it's interesting because he had two drops, but I do think he lost some a lot of moments in those rounds, especially in the third round. He was controlled for a, a good portion of that round. Tercios threatened with a deep choke, but he also landed a flying knee that almost got a finish. So I, I and I'm not really gonna get in too big of a heat in a, in a fuss over that fight because I think that was a very hard fight to judge. Um, if they would have gave it to Natividad, I wouldn't have complained at all. Um, so and, and giving it to Tercios, I, I'm not gonna complain either. I just wanted to bring that up and acknowledge that it was a very very close fight. Um, for Tercios though. What, what's the ceiling here, and are we going to be able to make some improvements? And, and I think that's an interesting question because he is 29. He's a little bit older. Offensively, he's good when he gets in this, like, tough brawl type of fight. When it when it was a more calculated fight against uh, Zahabi, he struggled a lot more. But when you get into a war, he, he is much more effective at, at landing offensively. In landing powerfully as well, but that cannot be your sole. Like you, you, if if you have to make something a brawl to find success, not every single fighter out there is going to agree to get in a brawl in a sense where like, someone like Zahabi won't get in a brawl. Someone like Natividad will. Someone like Brady Highstand will, right? Some guys just aren't going to oblige in that style of a fight. Some guys are going to, you know, and he, and Tercios, you know, for example, how how can you go out there and make this fight a brawl if your opponent doesn't want to oblige? I'm not sure that he's able to do that either. But at the same time, I think he has a lot of really, really good skills. He has the, like I said earlier, the cardio, the toughness, the chin, all tremendous. Uh, he's very good off the bottom. That's tremendous. He is good offensively. That's tremendous, right? So there's a lot of things I like, but how much improvements are we going to make? Are we going to get to a point to where we can be a little bit more calculated and still find success? Are we going to get to a point where you're not getting hit as much? Because eventually your chin, no matter how tough you are, won't be able to take as many shots as it could um, when you're 29. That's if you want to be long-term successful. And I don't really know the answer to those questions. I don't think anybody does. I'm not sure Tercios does. So I think this is a situation to monitor, a guy to watch, and just kind of see if he's making some improvements from fight to fight, where maybe next time out we see him somewhat, you know, we don't see him get hit as much. Maybe next time out we see him, you know, defend takedowns a little bit better. You know, some of some of those things, you know, maybe next time out we see him, you know, get, be a lot more technical and hit, and hit guys without getting hit. You know, some of those things that you'd like to see from a fighter. And it'll be interesting. I'm, I'm excited to watch because it is entertaining. He seems like a cool guy. So I, I am interested. It's not that I'm not interested, but I'm not convinced that we will see those things 100%. So like I said, it's a situation to monitor. Now, moving forward for Tercios, right? I, I think this is an interesting position he's in because I'm not sure who he should fight next, in all honesty. Because do you give him the, okay, you won this fight, let's move you up. Congratulations, you get a bigger opportunity now. Um, but is that detrimental in the long long run? Or do you give him, you know, hey, you just won, but we still want to see you prove yourself a little bit more against someone that isn't, you know, an elite level fighter? I think those are all very valid questions. And, you know, I'm not really positive which direction the UFC goes. And there aren't a lot of, you know, easy fights at Bantamweight. You know, even these guys that, are sitting in the, you know, entry level of bantamweight have serious talents, whether it's, you know, strong wrestling, whether it's good jiu-jitsu, whether it is knockout power. A lot of these guys have something that makes you, that could make you optimistic about them. Uh, for example, 
Eamon Zahabi is someone who he's lost to who isn't tremendous. You know, he's, he's not up there. He's not knocking on the door of the rankings. So, um, looking through some of these names at Bantamweight, I'm thinking that Guido Canetti may be an interesting opponent next. You know, he his last two fights are against Chris Moutinho and Randy Costa. And we know Guido's going to make him fight. And I'd be interested to see how he does against a tough veteran like that. So I think that is a fight that you could look at for Ricky Tercio. All right, we've got three fights left on this card. Next up, Vanessa Demopoulos versus Maria Oliveira. Um, this was a good fight from Vanessa Demopoulos. It's a good example of doing what you have to do to win a fight, right? She did a lot of really good work on the ground. Um, she was able to land takedowns when you're fighting someone with a 10-inch reach advantage. You know, getting that fight to the ground is obviously very, very beneficial. Um, on the feet, she was getting hit a little bit, right? But at the same time, I think she got a knockdown in the, was it the second round? Um, but she was able to come over top with that right hand a couple times, which if you can time the, the longer fighter and you can come over top of a jab, which she was able to do, it's a good game plan. So I think we saw some things that from Vanessa Demopoulos that were um, very promising. I think it was a very good game plan. She did what she needed to do to win. So very good performance, in my opinion, from Vanessa Demopoulos. You know, she now has three wins in a row, right? And, you know, there's... She's in this rank of fighter, in my opinion. Sam Hughes, Elise Reed, Corey McKenna. Those are some names that I think uh, could be interesting moving forward. Maybe a Pollyanna Viana. Maybe a Cheyenne Vilmus. I think those are some, some potential names for Vanessa Demopoulos. Um, I, I don't think you should you should throw her throw her up there, you know, closer to that top fifteen quite yet. I, I don't necessarily think she is that uh, that high level um, at the moment. Maybe she will be, but I just don't see it uh, right now. Uh, moving forward, uh, Brady Highstand versus Fernie Garcia, really strong performance from Highstand. You know, mixed in some grappling while still having some good striking. Really good decision win from him. I think this was a good turn in the right direction for someone. And just, I think this was a good progression. And it was good to get a win at the UFC level for him. And so I think this is a good building block for him to continue to grow into a high-level fighter. Um, like, I, I'm, like, you know, I'm not incredibly high on his, like, overall potential. But I do think he can be good. And I do think, you know... He's a fighter that I will watch to evaluate. And simply from a visual aspect, I'll tell you what, a record of 6-2 and two is, you know, visually a lot better than a record of 5-3. and three. So that was an important win for him, and he got a UFC win under his belt, so we'll see how he can do improving from here. Last fight on UFC Vegas 65, Natalia Silva, Teresa Bleda. Uh, very very good performance from Natalia Silva. Um, I'll tell you what, I really like Natalia Silva. I really do. She, you know, if you don't know who Teresa Bleda is, which you may not, because Bleda isn't some like well-known fighter, but she does have a lot of talent. She almost got signed out of Contender Series, but she didn't get the call because she wasn't able to land a finish. With that being said, you know. She can still wrestle, right? That's a very good wrestler we were looking at. And Silva, while she was outgrappled at moments, she didn't win every single second of that fight. You're looking at someone fighting a good grappler, and she did a lot of things. Good takedown defense, right? It was not easy for Blada to take her down. And I think when you're looking, if you were to compare Blada's wrestling to a lot of these fighters at 125 pounds, Blade's wrestling is better than a good portion of these fighters' wrestling. Um, for example, Blade would go out there and out-wrestle Shannon Young. She'd go out there and out-wrestle Hannah Goldie. She'd go out there and out-wrestle Mandy Baum. Right? She'd go out there and out-wrestle 
Courtney Casey. She'll go out there and out, probably out wrestle Brogan Walker. Maybe out wrestle Julia Miller. Miller might be able to catch her with a sub, but this girl is a very, very good grappler. And she's a pressure grappler as well, right? Bleda is the type of grappler where, okay, you defend one takedown, you get to throw three strikes, and then the takedown's coming back again. So you don't even get that many opportunities to fight, and you're just fighting off submission, or you're fighting off takedown attempts this whole time. Silva showed a lot of really good traits, um, a lot of good takedown defense on the ground. She was able to get up a couple times. She was able to, you know, fight off a triangle choke. You know, that wasn't the best position, but that came right after a really strong switch. So I like what we're seeing from Natalia Silva. And that was all grappling that I just spoke about, but she won the fight with a spinning, um, you know, it was going to be a spinning kick to the body, but she catches Blada as she's ducking. And she lands that right on the chin. So a very, very, very good performance from Silva. And her striking is so crisp, right? Great one-twos. Good hooks. Tremendous kicks, right? I really, really like Natalia Silva. And I think she can go out there and strike with a lot of girls in this 125-pound division. Maybe not all of them. But um, I do think we're looking at someone who eventually will be a ranked fighter. This is a very, very good prospect that I really, really like. And she now has two impressive wins in the UFC. Um, at least, I'm I'm only remembering, I'll have to pull up a record, but the win over uh, Jasmine Judaviscus, very good win. This win over Blada, very good win. Yep, 2-0 in the promotion. So I think if she can continue to build, um, I think we're looking at a very good fighter here, and I think we're looking at a ranked fighter. So this is a fighter I will have my eye on. Moving forward, I'm thinking Antonina Shevchenko. That's an interesting fight. I think Montana De La Rosa. I think that's an interesting fight. I think Priscilla Cachueta. That's an interesting fight. Ariana Lipsky. Interesting fight. Molly McCann. That's... We'll see how bad the UFC wants to get off the Molly McCann hype train. If you see Molly McCann and Natalia Silva booked anytime soon... You know that the UFC is looking to throw Molly McCann in the trash can. Because I'll tell you what. I think Natalia Silva cleans her up and cleans her up good. But um, I think we're looking at a a spot where Silva, I think, is going to get a bigger name, right? I think you're looking at someone who is a little bit more well-known, has a couple more UFC fights under their belt um, than someone like uh, Judaviscus or someone like Bleda. Um, I don't remember who she was originally scheduled to fight. I know Blade has stepped in on short notice. Let me pull that up real quick. Maybe that could give us a little bit of insight as well if we're trying to guess who she fights next. Um, no, that was the original fight. I could have swore that was short notice. Hmm. Regardless, she got 50 Gs. Um, so, like I said, um, I'm not going to keep talking about Natalia Silva for you know, forever, but I do think this is a fighter that will uh, uh, be a ranked fighter. I, I, I do think she is that uh, that level. So I'm very impressed. Now, I, I do I want to do this? Um, we're running low on time, but I, I do think, I do want to talk about Hamzat Chimaev's call out of Alex Pajeda. If you did not see, um, she might have called out Alex Pajeda, and it was the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Um, I I don't really like Hamza Chumayev, if you aren't aware. I'll, I'll say that openly, and it isn't anything to do with him as a person or him as a, well, I shouldn't say him as a person. It has nothing to do with him as a fighter. I recognize that he is a very, very good fighter and will probably be a champion by the end of 2023, depending on how things go. I would not be surprised at all if we see him holding at least one belt by the end of 2023. But with that being said, Hamzat Chimaev has the ability to say dumb things and do dumb things like no other. Um, I won't even go in the history of you know, the dumb things that he's done, whether it, you know, be misweight by eight pounds for a fight with Nate Diaz. You want to build your name in the sport, go out there and 
destroy Nate Diaz. Instead, you were the co-main with Kevin Holland. Go out there and destroy Nate Diaz. It's a lot more effective in getting your name out there. It's a lot more impressive to a casual audience of the sport. Don't start a fight at the press conference that forces the UFC to cancel the press conference because that will get you on the outs with the UFC very quickly. Don't, you know, start a fight with Paulo Costa. And, you know, when don't start a fight with Paulo Costa where Paulo Costa is in a UFC octagon and he says, hey, you we're, we can spar right now. We can do it right now. And then you don't end up fighting. You, you look silly if you do that, if you instigate a fight. Um, with a dude in an octagon with gloves and he says well we can just do it right here this is actually the perfect scenario to fight somebody all these things kind of build on top of each other and then today he it might have been yesterday he calls out Alex Pereira he wants to fight Alex Pereira on December 10th now it's an interesting thing from Chimaev because he does things in a way that he acts like it's impressive. But at the same time, we know that isn't going to happen, right? Logistically, even forget the fact that Pereira fought last weekend. Forget that. Leave that from your memory, right? Don't even think about that. Logistically, the UFC champion does not get booked to fight someone three weeks before a decided date, unless it is a short-notice replacement. For example, the UFC would not today, they would not book Francis Ngannou versus John Jones for December 10th. It just wouldn't make sense from marketing, from selling tickets, to promoting, to making sure guys are ready. Because if you lose on three weeks' notice and you're the champion, you can then turn around and go, well, I, I took the fight on three weeks' notice, I wasn't ready, give me a rematch. There's so many reasons why the UFC would say, that's stupid, we're not doing that. But what he's doing, which is kind of interesting actually, but it's very easy to see through if you use some critical thinking. It's what he's going to do. He's making this call out, and then when the fight doesn't get booked, he's going to say, Alex Pereira was scared. I tried to fight Alex Pereira. He was scared, right? It's all a big marketing tactic and a marketing scheme in a way where everybody with, you know, enough brain cells to to think critically about it will understand well even if Pereira said yes to the fight and said yes he would fight on December 10th the UFC would say no that's not happening um and I doubt the UFC even wants Pereira to fight anyone you know even if they even if that fight was booked for Brazil in January even if that fight was booked for March or or April or wherever Whenever. I have a hard time seeing the UFC saying yes to an Alex Pajeda fight that does not involve Israel Adesanya. I think it's, you know, a silly, goofy strategy where the UFC wants that rematch in the UFC. And and they think they probably think that sells a lot of pay-per-views. But when what Chumayev is doing is he's spinning this narrative to where Pereira's afraid to fight me. No, the UFC doesn't want you to fight Pereira. And even if they did... Why would anyone accept a fight on three weeks' notice after they just fought a world championship fight and just beat the guy that they've been been preparing for for so long? And I know that Hamzat Chumayev was willing to... I know he's done that. He's fought two weeks in a row. But it's a lot easier to fight consecutively when you are fighting guys who are entry-level fighters. That's who Hamzat Chumayev fought uh, in in back-to-back weeks. He fought two entry-level UFC fighters. Um, If you were to put Alex Pajeda up uh, and and tell him, hey, let's see, we give you two guys, you know, you can fight the worst middleweight on the roster and the worst light heavyweight on the roster, but you have to do it in back-to-back weekends. He'd, He'd win both fights, right? It's just, it's, um, that's just how it goes. And it it's different when you're fighting the top guy in the world to turn around on, on three weeks' notice. 
And um, do I think Chimaev beats, right? This isn't, do I think Chimaev beats Alex Pajeda if they were to fight? I, I do. I would pick Hamzat Chimaev in that fight. Um, I'd probably take him by to win by submission in the first round, if we're being honest. Um, but the way that he's spinning this, and you can see it from a mile away to where, you know, that's not the fight that's going to happen. You're, you're not going to get that fight. Why would the UFC waste that opportunity? And if the UFC wants Hamza Chumayev to fight for the 185-pound belt, there's two scenarios that um, make it a little bit better. You can either have Pereira beat Israel Adesanya again, and then Chumayev comes in and beats him. And now you have the guy, he, he beats the guy who beat Izzy twice, makes Chumayev look better. It makes the win on his resume look better without him having to do anything. Um, at the same time, if Israel Adesanya goes out there and beats Alex Pereira, they can then say, all right, Chumayev versus Izzy. And, um, and then he can beat Izzy if he does. Um, I think that's a harder fight than Pereira for uh, Chumayev, but I, I do think there's a legitimate chance that he wins that fight. And then he beats Israel Adesanya, who... That win looks better than a Pereira win on your resume because Israel Adesanya held that belt for a longer period of time. And then you can have him fight Pereira after, right? So thinking long-term, it wouldn't make any sense for the UFC to do that fight. He also calls out Gilbert Burns and and Colby Covington. Now, um, the Colby Covington call-out, I will give him 10 out of 10 credit for because that's the fight that needs to happen. That's the fight that should happen. If Hamza Chumayev is staying at 170, um, that's a big caveat. And I, I think the UFC is going to give him another fight at 170, to be honest. Um, and I think if he does right now, it should be Colby Covington. So I have no issue with that call out. Um, and the, But it, when he called out Gilbert Burns, he specifically asked for it to be at 185. And that's ridiculous in my opinion. Because Gilbert Burns is one of the smallest 170 pounders, right? Gilbert Burns used to fight at 155, and then he moved up to 170, right? He's not a big 170-pounder. So you're asking this guy to move up to 185 when you already have the physicality advantage. You're already the taller guy. You're already the bigger guy. And now you're saying, well, you know, could you give me an extra 15 pounds? It's ridiculous. It honestly is ridiculous. And you don't need. we don't need to see that fight again, right? We've seen it once. It was a great fight. But to do it back-to-back, I I mean, I'd rather see him fight Covington. I'd rather see him fight, you know, if, if, if he, and, and we need to figure out if it's a 170-pounder or a 185-pounder, right? I'm cool with jumping back and forth and doing both, but at this point in his career, can he make both? I don't have the answer to that question. If I had the answer to can he make both, I would be much more comfortable with saying he could fight a 170 pounder and if you're asking me what I actually really would like to see from Hamzat Chumayev you know what I'd really like to see from Hamzat Chumayev I'd like to see him say you know that 170 pound is too cut is too much I I, I can't really do that I, I don't really want to do that anymore I'm going to be the best fighter in the world at 185 pounds and I'm going to hold that belt for a long time and there's nothing you can do about it if that's his move I agree with that, right? Um, I shouldn't say I agree with the fact that he would do that. I agree with the fact that that would be the right play in terms of marketing and positioning yourself for a career. I think that's the way to go. And in that, you know, I'd like to see him take out a top contender at 185. Who who would be a good good example of that? The winner of Jared Cannonier versus Sean Strickland. If Jared Cannonier beats Sean Strickland... Jared Kananir versus Hamzat Chumayev would be a tremendous fight that I would love to see. That's a fight right there. Um, and I think that fight piques the interest of, of a lot more people than a rematch with Burns, by example. Um, I'm not sure that it piques the interest as much as Covington and Chumayev would. But I do think that Kananir would have a better chance at, at, at beating Chumayev. 
simply because of the size differences. Chimaev is a massive 170 pounder, so even if Covington has better technique and, and better cardio, the physicality difference may be too much for him to overcome. Um, similarly, Paulo Costa beats Robert Whitaker. Paulo Costa versus Hamza Chimaev is a great fight. I see a lot more entertaining fights for Hamza Chumayev at 185. That's why I'm saying I'd like to see him at 185 permanently. Um, let the 170-pound division go, If you, especially if you can't consistently make it. If I could get a guarantee that he fights 10 fights at, at 170 pounds and, and wins all 10 fights, um, I wouldn't be... I wouldn't have as big of an issue with with that path as I, as I do right now. Now that was a nice little rant that really made this episode much longer than it needed to be. So um, naturally, we're gonna go on another one. Um, Michael Chandler. This is not a rant actually, but um, it's an interesting fight that was proposed by somebody that I'd like to talk about as well. Um, Michael Chandler calls out Jorge Masvidal. Great fight. I don't need to see anything else. Done. Let's book it. I mean, that is a very fun fight. Um, my only issue with it was that Chandler wanted to fight for the BMF belt. Um, keep the BF, uh, keep the BMF belt at home. And I think a decent rule with the BMF belt is you don't get the BMF belt if you call it the bad mother fudger belt like Michael Chandler did. Um, I think that takes you out of the running. It's unfortunate, but I, I think with the nature of the way that that belt was created, you have to, you know, I, I'm not going to say the word. Everyone knows the word. I'm not going to say the word, not because I don't say the word, but because um, this podcast is listed as non-explicit on, on Apple Music, I believe. So if I were to say it, I could get in trouble because I, I say there are no swear words when it is posted. So if I do say swear words, uh, I, I get an email from Apple. So um, we're not going to say the word. But you get you get the point I'm making here, right? Um, but the fight in, in itself, right? Michael Chandler versus Jorge Masvidal, which is the real thing that piqued my interest. I think that's a great fight. I think that's a fight to book um, realistically. Um, I think... Michael Chandler's next two fights should be Jorge Masvidal and Conor McGregor, right? Do Jorge in... Uh, when would that fight take place, you know? Are they willing to fight in Perth? Are they willing to fight in Brazil? I mean, I don't really care that they're not from Perth or Brazil. I just want to see the two dudes fight. So if they're willing to fight, you know, maybe do it in March, right? I'll tell you what would be a fun little shindig. You know, the UFC is looking right now. For uh, 175, uh, two fights actually, they're looking for dates and locations for. The first that we already know the fight is Usman versus um, Edwards 3. My goodness, why did I draw a blank on that? But Usman versus Edwards 3. Um, that'd be a perfect fight for that. Um, that'd be a good, decent backup fighter option in Jorge Masvidal. Um, you could sell that, you know, I, I don't think that Masvidal beats either of those guys right now, but I do think that is a, um, interesting option there. And the other option, um, would be your Francis Ngannou versus John Jones fight purely from an entertainment, like great card aspect, having John Jones versus Francis and then say, a, another title fight, maybe Valentina and whoever Valentina decides to defend against. Valentina versus Manon Fior um, in the co-main. You don't need another, right? Obviously, you could do bigger and better fights there. You could do Aljo versus Henry Cejudo. There's other big fights you could do, but I don't think you need another, right? You've got an all-time great fight right there. You don't need the best title fight of all time, you know, to be sitting right behind it. That's a, that's a great main event. Put a good put a title fight in the in the co-main spot, and then in your third fight down, you've got Jorge versus Michael Chandler, and then Michael Chandler can turn around and fight Connor in you know July, June, September, right? I I think that's the way to go. I think that is pure entertainment at its highest level. 
Chandler versus Jorge Masvidal. That's a fight to to watch. And um, dare I say, I, I, I may just pick Michael Chandler in that fight. I think it's a tough one for him, but I may just pick Michael Chandler in that fight. Um, actually, scratch everything. Scratch part of what I said with Michael Chandler's next two fights being Jorge and Chandler. Um, excuse me. Now we're getting real off the rails here. Scratch what I said about Chandler fighting Jorge and Connor back-to-back. What actually should happen is the winner of Chandler and Jorge fights Connor in his return. I think that is the way uh, to go with that. Um, and with that, um, I think that's a good way to wrap up the show. We got a nice little breakdown of UFC 2... UFC... UFC... UFC Vegas 65. Good grief. These things go off the rails real quick, and when they go off the rails, you know it's time to end it. Um, Great, great, uh, not great, great card, UFC Vegas 65. We go off the rails a little bit further. Um, Pretty terrible card with some good fights on it is a good way to describe UFC Vegas 65. And if you you stuck through the whole UFC Vegas 65 card and discussion, you got to hear two. One rant and one me living a fantasy where we see some cool fights. Um, so, um, I'd like to think that the, the me talking nonsense about fight that fights that may or may not happen is, you know, maybe more entertaining. So whichever you prefer, thank you for sticking around and I hope you enjoyed, uh, listening to me ramble for a little bit. And, uh, most importantly, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the head kick KO podcast. Goodbye. Oh, he fucked, kicked him in the face. Kevin Lee! the ultimate oh.